0: As we study 2 Peter chapter 2, we are reminded once again of the problem of false prophets and false teachers. It goes all the way back to the beginning with Satan in the garden, twisting and lying, and it continues to our day. And it was happening in Peter's day. You know, I'm amazed as I read the New Testament, how much of the content of those books is related to false teaching and exposing it and grounding the church in the truth. We need to know about these subjects and we'll tackle them today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. There's a very great definition of the surety of scripture. Uh, Scripture is not from human will. Notice 2 Peter 121. Men were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. God is the author of scripture. Men are the vehicle by which it was penned, but God is the ultimate author. They spoke from God. They were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now, right after this, Peter gets into false prophets and Remember, in the original writing of these letters, there were no chapter breaks. The chapter breaks and the verses were added later for our own navigation purposes. So the letter has a continuity to it. Right after the authority, the sureness, the inspiration of God's word, it says, but, 2 Peter 2.1, false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies. Now that's the title of our message tonight, destructive heresies, taken right from verse one. The word heresies there is a Greek word, heresis. If you're interested, it's hair, as in the hair on your head, H-A-R-H-I-H-A-I-R, as in the hair on your head, E-S-I-S, hair, aces. Can everybody say it together? Her-aces. That's the word for heresy or heretic. So some of you have heard that in church history, there were heretics and heretics were kicked out of the church. One that comes to mind as I'm standing up here is a man called Arius of Alexandria. Arius of Alexandria, way back in the day, and this, is, this was actually the subject matter of the Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D., one of the uh, councils of the churches, uh, Church History Unfolded, uh, dealt with Arius of Alexandria. And what he was teaching is that Jesus was a created being. There was a time when the Son was not. That was one of his uh, sayings. There there was a time when the Son, Jesus Christ, the Son, S-O-N, was not, and then came into being. That heresy, way back in the 300s A.D., was picked up by, guess who? The Jehovah's Witnesses by a man named Charles Taze Russell, who simply is repeating, or he's now dead, but was taught and repeated what's called the Arian heresy, or the heresy that came from Arius of Alexandria, teaching that Jesus Christ was a, the first and greatest creation of God, but not eternal God. He did teach that uh, Jesus had divine qualities, or maybe he had an, even had some godlike status to him, but he was not equal with the father. He was created. He was demoted by Arius. And this was a heresy. And the church got together and debated it. And Arius of Alexandria got booted out of the church. Because a heretic, the technical definition of hereses, is a choice. Or for our purposes, it's holding a strong-willed opinion. is a heretic, is someone who holds a strong-willed opinion that denies the authority of Scripture, namely having to do with Christ and his true identity. So a heretic is someone who denies or distorts one of the essential doctrines of Christianity. A heretic is not someone who's working through you know, maybe a complete understanding of the Trinity and gets corrected and says, oh, maybe I was a little imprecise with that. Or maybe I had a misunderstanding. It's not someone who, you know, is in a seminary class and developing doctrine and gets corrected by a professor and says, oh, okay, I realize now, you know, I had that wrong or I misunderstood this. A heretic is someone who, despite the facts of Scripture and being confronted by truth still holds that strong-willed opinion and will not back off of it. And specifically has to do with the essential doctrine. We're not talking about the timing of the rapture. We're not talking about the mode of baptism. We're not talking about church membership or church government and how you run that. We're talking about essential doctrine. So that I was reading a commentary this week and the author said that every New Testament use of the word heresies is always a denial of the person of Jesus Christ. So think about it. If you run into a Mormon, a Jehovah's Witness, a New Ager, someone who's involved in Wicca, go down the line, Islam, world religions, Hinduism, you name it. There's always a different definition of who? Jesus Christ. They deny his deity. They redefine him. They deny salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, plus nothing. They deny the triune nature of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So this is what we're talking about. We're talking about heretics who showed up. There were false teachers who showed up among the people, just as there were false prophets in Israel. Were false prophets a problem for Israel? Oh, yes. You better believe it. They kept showing up and they would prophesy and God would say, if you have somebody who's a dreamer of dreams or claims to be a prophet and he says to you, this Deuteronomy 13, about verses one through five, let us go after other gods. Don't do it. Just because it says prophet on one's business card does not mean he's truly speaking from God. Nor does someone who holds the term, the title pastor or stands in a pulpit necessarily mean they are teaching the word of God. Notice in Second Peter 3, verse 16, these people, they distort, 16 end of the verse, they distort as they do the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. And then verse 18 is the theme verse we've already mentioned but we're to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The way that you can sniff out a heretic, if you will, is continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Knowing is growing. Growing is knowing. The more you know, the more you grow. The more you know, the more you will not be duped by false teachers, who, by the way, preach more heresy than you could shake a stick at with a Bible in front of them. Just because they have a Bible in front of them does not mean that they are accurately teaching God's word. And so you have to be able to know the truth and then test all things and hold fast to that, which is good. So these false prophets arose among the people, the people of Israel, I think is Peter's meaning here in verse one, and there will be false teachers among you. Notice how they will do this. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies. They will do it stealthily. They won't come out and say, hey, I'm about to teach something that's not historic Christian doctrine. That's not how they're going to do it. They're going to come into what? Where have most false teachers made their greatest destructive impact? Within the church. Not without. Within the church. They stealthily sneak in, maybe saying, Oh, sure, I believe that same thing. I, I, and then they start a Bible study, and now you have division in a church. Some years ago, I had a friend that was a pastor. We did a radio program on KKLA together. And he told me that a young man came into their church, and he was an extreme Calvinist. And there's some uh, wonderful Calvinist believers, but this guy was very extreme. And he began to divide the church. He started in a little Bible study and he began to basically say, the pastor's wrong about this, the pastor's wrong about that. And he began to try to use his little hobby horse passages to make his point. And he ended up dividing the church. And the church was was hurt by it. Because people began to jump on this guy's bandwagon and unfortunately they had not done their homework on, you know, all of the different angles by which you have to weigh a doctrine like this. And so there's a lot of modern examples of how this works and they will bring in secretly their destructive. I want you to see the nature of their heresies. They are destructive. How so? They are destructive to who? Well, you could say they're destructive to the heretic because if he keeps doing it, and we would argue here that these heretics are not Christians. They don't, they've denied Jesus, which we'll see in a moment. They've denied the master who bought them, but they're destructive to the people. Because if a heretic moves you away from the true Christ, what do you have left? Nothing. Because only Jesus Christ can save you. Turn to the book of Acts for a second. Peter has been uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, book of Acts chapter four. He is a different man. He has been restored into ministry. He's been told that he's going to go and preach and he's to shepherd the sheep. Uh, This is the book of Acts chapter four. Look at verse eight. Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. They were being confronted by the religious leadership not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus. Acts 4.8, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be made known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He, Jesus, is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the very cornerstone. And there is salvation in, what's your Bible say? No one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. There is salvation in no one else. So if a heretic comes in and points people as the false prophets did in Israel, let us go after other gods. And let's say that the heretic says, there's another Jesus. You can redefine Jesus in this way. And they detract. Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael. I just want to share my heart for a second. We have a website called walkintruth.com and we put up a store and we're adding more and more products to it. But one of the reasons I want to get you to that store is that you can partner with us in the ministry. You know, radio airtime costs money and we want to reach more people. If you're being blessed by this ministry, one of the ways that you can partner with us is to go to the website and purchase a product. You can also purchase my book on The Armor of God. I'll get you a signed copy and whatever you give to the ministry will go directly to paying for radio airtime. That's one way you can partner with us. You can help us reach more people like you And you can partner with us in the gospel ministry. It's a great thing. We appreciate you. We love you. Pray for us. We'll keep praying for you. Reach out to us today through the store at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. God bless you. Let's say that the heretic says, there's another Jesus. You can redefine Jesus in this way. And they detract from the beauty of his person and the exclusivity of who he is. He's the one way to God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man is coming to the Father. No person's coming to the Father except through me. If someone is distorting or denying that, think about it. Think about all the modern movements that deny that Jesus is the singular way to God. Isn't that the the issue of our culture today, that if you were to gather at some sort of uh, gathering where everybody just says, whatever you believe, it's all fine. Well, well, all roads lead to God. Then, we're all, then we can sing Kumbaya together and we're, we're all cool. But the moment that you say you're a Christian, what have you just made? You've just made an exclusive claim. Why? Because your Lord made an exclusive claim. When people say to me, you know, Michael, that's just your opinion. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life only way to God. I say, no, that's not my opinion, sir or ma'am. That's what Jesus said. So now you have to wrestle with what Jesus said. And Jesus did warn us in Matthew 7 that there were gonna be people that would come about and they would be wolves in sheep's clothing and they would lead people astray. So there are gonna be false teachers among you. They'll bring destructive heresies Look at verse one. They'll even be denying. That means to contradict, disavow or reject. We're back in 2 Peter 2.1. I'm sorry. 2 Peter two one. They will even be denying the master who bought them. And they will be bringing swift or imminent destruction upon themselves. Back to 2 Peter 2.1. They will deny the master who bought them. Now, there, this brings up a couple of questions. Did Jesus buy everyone, even people who deny him, which is what verse one says. Did Jesus die for everyone? 1 John 2.2 is a verse you wanna write down. Jesus died for our sins, but not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. That's 1 John 2.2. His atoning death on the cross is sufficient payment for the sins of the entire world. There's no additional payment that needs to be made. He doesn't have to add to his payment. His death is wholly sufficient to pay for everyone's sin. And that includes everyone. However, not everyone applies the purchase price that's been made. So while his death is sufficient, not everybody applies the payment When Jesus from the cross said, it is finished, you guys have heard this before. Another way to say that is paid, what? In full. There's nothing more that needs to be added to the sufficiency of the atonement of Christ. It's a full payment for everyone's sin. Anybody who wants to jump on the ark of salvation can jump on. The ticket's been punched. However, if you don't take the ticket, no ticky, no washy, I don't even know where that comes from. Anybody? <laughs> anyway, I think it's like the cleaners or something like that. You don't have your ticket, you don't pick up your sport jacket. So if you don't want to receive the gift for salvation is by grace through faith. Grace, you could say, is God's unmerited favor. So Christ atoning death, we could place there, right? It's by grace, God has done it all. Through the channel of what? Faith. So the way that you receive Christ's atonement is you must trust him for your salvation. If you don't trust him for your salvation, then the payment is not applied to you. It's not credited to your account. Some of the other language in the New Testament is uh, accounting language. And it's the idea of imputation. This is, you could read Romans 4 pretty much the whole chapter, but especially the first like eight verses. And in Romans 4, it talks about imputed righteousness. So think about it this way. When does Christ's righteousness go to your account to be credited to you? The moment you what? Believe. The moment you exercise faith. Abraham believed God. This is Romans 4, 3, quoting Genesis 15, 6. And it was reckoned to him credited to him as what? Righteousness. That's way before the cross, you guys. That's the first, that's the guy that God chose to start the nation of Israel. And what did Abraham believe? He believed God's word. He believed that a a child was coming, an heir. He didn't understand everything. He, He wasn't able to look back like we look back right now. But Abraham was made righteous by faith. And so This is the the truth of the matter. If you want to read more about false prophets, write down Jeremiah 23, verses 14 through 32, and Jeremiah 6, verses 13 through 14, and you'll get a whole treatise on the false prophets who dream dreams. They say they're speaking in the name of the Lord. They say, peace, peace, when there is what? No peace. And so they deny the one who purchased them. Now, There's an interesting verse in Deuteronomy Deuteronomy 32. So you got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Go to Deuteronomy 32. Moses is addressing the children of Israel. They've been uh, led out of bondage by the powerful hand of God. He's their redeemer. So he bought them out of the slave market of sin. Deuteronomy 32. God purchased Israel, but they would what? They largely did not obey God. They were redeemed by the mighty hand of God, purchased. But how well did they obey the Lord? What kind of grade would you give Israel in the wilderness? A D (laughs) minus? Did they flunk? We know that only two men entered the promised land. Not even Moses got to go in. And here's what Moses says. He says, Deuteronomy 32.1, Give ear, O heavens, let me speak. Let the earth hear the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, as the droplets on the fresh grass, and as the showers on the herb. For I proclaim the name of the Lord. Ascribe greatness to our God. 32, 4. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. They have acted corruptly toward him, they are not his children because of their defect. But are a perverse and crooked generation. Do you thus repay the Lord? O foolish and unwise people. Is not he your father who has what? Who bought you. He has made you and established you. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of all generations. Ask your father and he will inform you. Your elders and they will tell you. Israel was foolish. In the desert, they acted like God had not bought them. Turn back to Second Peter two, and so Korah had a rebellion, and uh, he tried to lead a rebellion against Moses. And the ground opened up and swallowed Korah and his family. And prior to that, Moses said, "Who's ever on the Lord's side, come over to me. Whoever is on Korah's side, you can stay over there." And be, if you began to hear the ground crack a little bit, wouldn't you? <laughs> Moses aside, Moses aside, right? And down they went, basically into the abyss. Ah! Hollywood should make the movie one day if they haven't already. <laughs> Second Peter 2 Peter 2.1, 2-2. And many, this swift destruction of the false teachers, their denial of Jesus, It says, and many, 2 Peter 2, 2, will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. Now this is back in the time of Peter, right? And Peter says, of these false teachers, many are going to follow them. Does that just make you a little bit sad? Many? Go to Matthew 7. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew 7. Jesus warned about this very thing in Matthew 7. We're going to pick it up in verse 13. And there's some sobering language that we need to hear from Jesus. And the context is warning about false teachers. So here's what he says. This is Matthew 7, 13. He says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction and Many are those who enter by it, Matthew 7, 14. The gate is small, the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those who find it. Beware of what? Of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles, are they? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit. But the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit. Think of uh, a good teacher, false teachers, and positive teachers, right on teachers. Nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down. It's going to be judged and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Now keep reading. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, Master, Master, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not, and they did a bunch of religious things. They prophesied. They said, we didn't we prophesy in your name? Cast out demons in your name, perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, and this is important for you to see. I He doesn't say, I knew you at one time and our relationship drifted he says i what never knew you you were never of me depart from me you who practice lawlessness now keep that phrase in mind of the practice of lawlessness as you go back to second peter 2 many people are enthralled by false teachers and one of the things that we can see from this false teaching in second peter is that these were those who were following something called anti antinomianism Simply put, it means no law. And there were two kind of extreme heresies that developed into something called Gnostic thought in the second century is where it really developed. One group said you can uh, pretty much do whatever you want and still be spiritual and still be good with God. They practiced antinomianism. And then the other group was kind of a group that beat themselves up and said, you're only acceptable to God if you just, you know, tar and feather yourself, basically, whip yourself, beat yourself up. So it would seem that these false teachers came into the church with an antinomianism perspective. It says, many will follow, this is why we think this, many will follow their sensuality. See the word sensuality there? That's a Greek word that speaks of, unbridled lust, excess, licentiousness, outrageous behavior, shamelessness, insolence. Many will follow their sensuality. These are people who under the uh, banner of religion manipulate and hurt a bunch of people. How many people, just step back for a second and just think with me, how many people have been wounded by religion, manipulated by it? Would you say that there's a lot of people who, you know, they they entered into a cult and they got totally manipulated. Have you ever watched, you know, Saturday Night, those 2020 specials and what a so-called cult leader did to people and stole their wives away and you know, sometimes some of these ended up with uh, the officials and a gun battle, and it's just, it's just crazy. And, and if you know, remember Jonestown, people drank the Kool-Aid, and some people didn't want to drink the Kool-Aid, but they had guns pointed at them. So they had to drink the Kool-Aid. They were going to die either way. And so many will follow their sensuality because people love easy religion. I don't want something that's going to be hard and challenging. Hey, folks, this is Pastor Michael, and I appreciate you listening to today's message. I want to tell you about the store at walkintruth.com. On the store, we have a brand new teaching up. It's on the occult, it's called The Dark Dangers of the Occult, and we have taught on the subject of demon possession. And we also have taught on the subject of Wicca or witchcraft, and there's more to come. And you need to know about this subject. You need to know what's going on with the occult, what the Bible says about it. It warns about it being forbidden. It warns that you should not mess with it. But there's also something else. We need to reach out to people in love with the truth of Jesus who've gotten involved in the occult. You can have access to this information, these resources to learn more and to become a more effective ambassador for Christ. It's all available at the Walk in Truth store at walkintruth.com. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.